Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. Welcome to OCC. My name is Josh, and if I've not met you before, I'd love to say hi to you. I'll be at the welcome table on the, in the breezeway as you're exiting today. And last week, a group of men uh, wrapped up a message series that we walked through in the summer on the parables of Jesus. The parables of Jesus in the Bible are these sticky, short stories that drive home a key point. Usually Jesus is answering a question that someone has asked, and he tells a story. And so, anyway, we've had a great series of messages, and those are all on our website, and so I invite you to check those out. Uh, we've got a great team, and so the, the men who were speaking, it was just encouraging to me. I was in some of those services live listening and just... Uh, encouraged by those messages, and then the others I caught online, and just, it was a great joy for me. But in June, so a month before last, actually, marked my wife and I's 20th wedding anniversary, and so we were able to go away, and yeah, thanks. <laughs> in some ways, I can't believe it's been 20 years. It's it's amazing, like, and then, it, I mean, it just seems like it has flown by, and so... But we married in, in, on June 5th, 1999, and so we celebrated 20 years. And before our honeymoon, 20 years ago, I asked my wife, Erica, where, where would you like to go for, for our honeymoon? I probably shouldn't have asked that question. Because <laughs> she said, Italy? <laughs> and it was sort of like this. Well, you know, <laughs> I got that ring on you. and <laughs> But I tucked that away. I said, anything within driving distance we can hit. So we had a great honeymoon. We had a great honeymoon in California. And, but I remembered she wants to go to Italy. And so uh, this, this past June, we were able to go to Italy. We actually went to Greece and Italy. And we toured uh, uh, for just a few weeks. We were gone. It was a great time. We got to see some places that have special significance in Bible history, in fact. So we got to go to Athens. We got to go to Corinth. Some ancient cities where the Bible references as churches were started by the apostle paul in those cities and so i was like a, I was like oh my gosh this is the spot and i'm i got like videos acting on rocks and stuff and you'll never see them but they exist <laughs> i'm not a good actor so but uh, then in july my family we were asked to lead a mission team for church uh, churches within our network to support uh, a new church is starting in north fontana we led a, a sports camp and so having done that for several years here, we wanted to go and be a, a blessing and a help to uh, our friends at Ridgeview Church that we've been partnering with since they started. So they're about a year old as a church. And I can remember 12 years ago when we were starting how helpful it was to have mission teams and groups come in to, to help us get things off the ground and do, do events that we just couldn't possibly do on our own. But then we would get these volunteers and it would make us feel like, wow, we we're, were able to do uh, you know, much sharper, larger events that could reach out. And so we, we were able to sort of invest back in and pour into that opportunity. And God really has continued to bless uh, the growth of, of that church as new families are coming and checking out Ridgeview Church. So, But today I'm really excited to be back here with you. I've been really ex- just anxious to sort of get back into my normal routine and role. And, and today we're beginning a new message series called God Dreams. And, and you see the, the visual up there, and, and that's why we had donuts today, was just to celebrate this new series and encourage you to invite some people to come around. And so uh, dreams are interesting, aren't they? Dreams are 
They're, they're fascinating. I, I had a strange dream this morning, and some, for some reason, Lord Voldemort appeared in my dream and rushed right towards me, and it startled me, and I woke up, and my wife was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I, I, I haven't been watching Harry Potter. I don't, but it, you know, it was, it was really weird. I wasn't on a broomstick flying or anything. I just, it was a weird dream. And sometimes you wake up from a dream and you're like, what was that about? You ever have those dreams? Sometimes they're nightmares. That was on the edge of a nightmare. <laughs> Some dreams are really clear, though. Like you have the dream and there's this brilliant clarity and you can actually tell people your dream like with detail and, and you, can, you can almost write a book about what just happened in, in that dream. And other times the dream, you have a little bit of clarity and you're anxious to tell people about it. By the time you get to that person, it becomes like the fish story that just keeps growing and you're like, I, I don't know. It was just a great dream. I don't know why, you know. Sometimes our dreams don't have closure, right? Sometimes they're, you're like right in the best part of the dream, and then you wake up, and you're like, no. Some are recurring dreams where you're like, you'll have the same dream over and over. Some there's a strange mix of people and places and circumstances, and you're, you're trying to decipher like this is a hidden message. I don't exactly know why we dream, but this is a part of who we are. This is part of how we've been made. We are actually imaginative People. God made us this way. We can dream. We can imagine things. Recently I had a strange dream about my minivan. And there's a long story that goes behind it, but I, I hit a uh, fast track divider. You know those? You know, you think they're like paper thin? No. <laughs> Front end damage, cracked my bumper, had to get a paint job. Anyway, my, my mind has been on uh, this van for a while because of doing a big paint job and so I took it to a body shop and didn't know how the damage happened because we'd been gone in in Italy and came back and there it was uh, damaged and so I took it to a body shop and after I decided I was going to have them paint the whole thing because of just the age of the van and it could could use a paint job anyway I said hey how do you how did this happen did someone maybe back into our van because no one had remembered crashing into anything and he said He's like looking at it really carefully. The bumper's cracked. There's damage on the hood. Newt needs, you know, some body work. And he's like, you know what this is? Someone hit the dividers on the, on the fast track because you have a little fast track scanner. Really? <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, this is all I do for a living. I know. He's like, I've seen this before. And I'm like, okay, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> on the way to the airport, LAX. And so, and... Anyway, I never realized you could do that kind of damage. But So my van has been on my mind a lot. So last Monday, I had a van dream. I had a minivan dream. And I'm, I'm in a wrecking yard with my van, for some reason, sitting there with my family in a wrecking yard. And I found this, this blue-gray Honda Odyssey with side impact damage. But I went inside of it, and all the seats inside were great. And my van, now that it's painted, it looks great on the outside, not so great on the inside. And so my dream was about me trying to unbolt everything and transfer it into my van... <laughs> But I'm also feeling my body wake up. Have you ever had that experience where you're waking up and you don't want to wake up because it's not over? You need to accomplish this thing. So thankfully in my dream, I got it all done. And then I woke up. <laughs> so whenever we sleep, we just create worlds that don't exist. We create stories like my minivan story that will never happen. But the dreaming doesn't stop when we wake up. We have daydreams. Anybody 
a daydreamer, you don't have to raise your hand. But sometimes we start dreaming while day, you know, drifting in our mind while we're at work, we're thinking about things, or maybe we're at school, or maybe we're at church. Like right now, you're dreaming about something, you know, that you've got planned for the day, and you're like, okay, focus, focus. He's talking to you right now. Or sitting around at home, people are talking to you, and you're you're not there. You're there, but you're daydreaming about something. Sometimes we just drift off, and, and sometimes it's because we look towards the future, especially at the start of a new season. Some of you are students, and you're, you're thinking about what this year is going to hold. And All these dreams, they point to the fact that, like God, we've been given the ability to, to see what doesn't exist. We dream because God dreams. He, he, he dreams. Now, God doesn't sleep. He doesn't daydream, but he does create the future out of what he first dreams up. In fact, everything that's visible in our world existed first in the mind of God. I mean, that's amazing. When he made us to dream and imagine. He created us in his image that we might be able to join him in turning dreams into reality. Now, here's the definition of a God dream. A God dream is a vision of the future that begins first in the mind of God, and then it's given to us. Here's an example of a God dream we see in Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, 40 days after Jesus' death and his resurrection, Jesus gathers his disciples. He's preparing them to leave. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's preparing them to leave, and he's, he's cluing them in on that. Even before his death, he's cluing them in on that. He's preparing them for life without him. But then he, he rises from the dead, and they, you know, that really kicked a lot of things into motion for them. It convinced them that he really was. God in the flesh. So they were really ready to just serve him, to follow him, to carry forward whatever assignment he would give. And so they asked Jesus a question. Before this statement, they asked Jesus a question. And really the question for them at this point is, they, they ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because Israel was not in their mind as it should be. The Romans were occupying their land and they're they're in Jerusalem, in the capital, and they're they're like Jesus. You're you're clearly the king, the king of the universe. You just defied everything. You rose from the dead. You can do anything, Lord. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they have a vision. Like they want to see Israel like it once was. Let's get the Romans out. Let's get our government back in. Let's let's you rule. Is is this going to wrap everything up? And it's going to happen right here in Israel. And, and they have a they have a a human-sized dream, in a sense. And they could see the scope of it. Israel, the nation, restoring the nation. But then Jesus, he, he, he blows the lid off their dream. He says, it's a lot larger than that. And this is what he says. He tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, God imagined a people who would be his very own who would live lives of extreme faith with a deep concern and a deep hope for the salvation of others. And he's saying to those first disciples, look, you'll be my witnesses. You'll be empowered by my spirit who's going to come upon you and fill you. You'll be my witnesses to share this message of hope. Not just here in Israel, not just in in Jerusalem and in Israel, but it's going to go further than that. Jerusalem was where they presently were. That was their, that was the, the city they were currently in. You know, it would be like him saying, hey guys, you're my witnesses. You're going to be filled with God's power through his spirit to be my witnesses in Riverside, but then he goes out further. 
Judea, Samaria, that's their neighboring regions. For us, it would be like all of Southern California. I want you to witness to others about who I am and what I can do. I want others to find the hope that you have found, not just here in, in this town, but in the region, in Southern California, even in, in the state, and even beyond that to the ends of the earth. This, this is Jesus' vision for his church, that we would be people with a concentric so- concern for others, a heart that longs to see and join in God's work in our hometown, in our, in our region, and in our world. That's a massive vision. See, our, our small vision, you know, we don't gather together for worship on a Sunday to, to focus on having a puny vision for God. We gather together to consider what dreams God has for us to accomplish in 2019, 2020, and beyond, but on a much larger scale than you and I could think of. That's what God does. He leads us to dream God dreams. Last year in 2018, a good number of our leadership team and staff began working on what's called the OCC Vision Frame, which we're going to walk through in this series. In fact, you see the image on the front of your program. You'll notice there's a frame, and it's got four words on the frame. And we're going to, we're going to walk through this frame throughout this series. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on it this morning and reveal some as well about the picture in the frame. And so now when we did this process called the Vision Frame, we worked with a few other churches in our network, but then also some consultants who helped us really try to identify the, the, our identity, who we are, and then our, our focus on the future, what we, what we sense God wants us to do in the future, like in the next 10 years. We weren't doing this trying to change who we are. We weren't in an identity crisis. We weren't bored and looking for something to do with our time. But we wanted to bring further clarity to for us to say, here, here's what the mission of OCC, here's the values, here's the, here's the strategy, here's the measures. And so today, we're going to look at the two important parts of every God dream. First, God dreams occur inside a frame. You can follow along, if you like, on that listening guide there. God dreams occur inside a frame. Have you ever set out to accomplish a dream without really considering, what am I going to stop doing? You set out to reach some goal, some dream, but you don't stop to, to think through, can I add anything else to my life? You just keep adding and adding and adding new goals, new, new activities without really stopping. Oftentimes, our, our plate is pretty full. If you're like me, you probably shouldn't just keep adding. You might want to stop and evaluate, should I remove something before I add something new into my life? Because the first step in really deciding to get anything done in life is to decide, what am I going to stop doing to make room for what I sense I need to add? Sometimes we can add more, and and maybe some people need to add some more, but most of us in this room are in desperate need of subtracting some things, not adding more into your life. But why do we keep adding? Well, it's because we lack a frame. We lack a frame. The Apostle Paul, he was a visionary, he was a church planter. He didn't, he didn't like to sit around and wait for things to happen. He was somebody who was making things happen. God was using him. But he understood the importance of having a frame that defined the limits of his focus. And that's what a frame does. It, 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 it gives you a boundary line to limit your focus. You know how to direct your attention if you have a frame. Paul, he planted a church in, in Corinth. An influ- influential trade city in Corinth. It's in ancient Greece. We got to go there. And we took pictures. And, and But after he moved on from Corinth and planted a church there, he, he established some leadership and he moved on to start churches in other cities. 
But news about the spiritual health of the church in Corinth began to, began to reach Paul. And the news he was hearing was pretty concerning. It was pretty, it was growing dysfunctional. They needed to make some tweaks. They had forgotten some priorities. And so Paul wrote letters back to the church in Corinth. We have those letters, First and Second Corinthians, books that are found in the New Testament. But in his letters, the Apostle Paul, the, the man who started that church there, he's giving instruction. He's, he's correcting some things. He's coaching some things. And in his correction, it was, it was loving correction, but it was also firm correction. But as people in Corinth received Paul's letter, they were like, who does, who does he think he is? What gives him the right to talk to us like that? He's awfully bold. Who, who do you think you are, Paul? Why was Paul so concerned for them? Well, it's because God's dream was to reach and save people in Corinth. And Paul was the one that God gave the assignment to, re- to reach them. This was your assignment, Paul. Go reach that, those people in that city. And so it's part of the frame that God had given him. This is part of, it's within the scope of, of his assignment that God had given him in his life. And so because of that, he cared deeply for those people. And so he's writing letters. And so when they were saying, hey, why are you being so bold and with us? Here's one of his responses. He's sort of giving a defense here of his ministry, but he says, look, we, we however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will continue our boasting to the field God, or we will confine our boasting to the field God has assigned to us, a field that reaches even to you. This is his answer. Why, why are you writing these things to us? Well, because you're part of the field God has assigned to us. We planted a church there, and, and now you're, you're, in the, you're in the frame of where we need to focus. You're on our heart. Now, there's two important lessons. One, we have proper limits. We have limited time, limited money, limited energy and ability. Every day, our body reminds us of our limits, doesn't it? Doesn't your body remind you of your limits? What happens? You get sleepy, right? We fall asleep and we, we dream about minivans or whatever you dream about. Random things. But then we, we wake up and we go through our days pretending that we have no limits in life. We just keep adding and adding and adding as if there's no real frame. And we add and add and add. But God knows our limits. God made us finite. So when he invites us to join him and accomplish one of his dreams, he gives, he gives us a pretty focused assignment, a frame, an assignment that has limits. And some things are on the assignment and some things are not. Like for me, I have concerns for all sorts of problems and challenges in the world, but some of those are outside of my frame. Some of them are outside of my specific assignment. But a big reason we go beyond our limits, Paul says, we boast beyond proper limits. The reason we do this is because of pride. We call this game that my life is busier than your game. I can do more. Have you ever played that game? I have. If you want status in a group, you know, don't, don't tell them you got eight hours of sleep last night. Tell them you got five hours of sleep last night. Wow. That's pretty impressive. You doing okay? Oh, yeah. Ready for tomorrow. <laughs> don't people how, you know, don't, don't brag and tell people about how you're finding moments of peace in life. Tell them how stressed you are. But you're still getting it done. What we think is impressive, God, he thinks it's silly. It's kind of like God would say, look, there they are again. 
Trying to act like me again, refusing to admit that they're limited. Trying to do more than I've assigned to them and then bragging about it to one another. So Paul's saying, look, God, God dreams are not for boasting. This is God's dream for your city. He's given me this assignment. In fact, Paul diverted attention away from himself. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, the previous book, one of the earlier chapters. Paul, he's, again, he's talking about his own role in the life of their church. He says, after all, what after all is Apollos? Apollos was another church leader there in Corinth. And what is Paul? Like, who are we? Well, he says, only servants through whom you came to believe. We're just servants. We shared with you. We're the servants who, who helped you believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, Paul says of himself, I planted the seed of the gospel. I, I shared, was the first to share. Then Apollos watered it. He came along and he, he shared again. He, he, he added to what Paul shared and gave testimony and built on that. He watered it. But God made it grow. See, God dreams have only two positions. There's only two roles for God dreams. There's God, who is the dreamer. He's the one, it's in his mind. And then there's everyone else, his servants. So there's God, and then there's his servants. Paul says, look, I'm a servant. Paul, Apollos is a servant. All of us in this room, if you're a Christ follower, you're, you're a servant of God. And when the dream becomes reality, if we take our rightful role, it's only God who gets the credit. So Paul's just very clear on the limits. Even though people were sort of poking at him, he's just like, look, this is, this is God's dream. We're, we, we play a part in that, but we're servants. But churches tend to do the same thing that individuals do. They don't get clear on their God-given limits, and so we just are tempted to keep adding more and more. In our early days as a church, 12 years ago, we started in, in uh, February of, of 2008. And it, the first few months, and certainly the first few years, up to about year four, it was focused on survival. <laughs> it was survival. Will we be around in a few years? That was the big question in, in a lot of our mind. Will we be here? Will we survive? We were just trying to get this thing off the ground. We moved here, and we were just trying to get this thing off the ground. And God was sending us people that were banding together, and, and it was really exciting. But often people would come and say, hey, how come OCC doesn't believe in this? And we're like, what do you mean? Or you must not be about these things that are in the Bible because you're not doing this yet. When are we going to do this? Or when are we going to do that? Or people would come and say, Hey, we used to do this at my church. Why don't you guys do that? And they're saying, look, add more. Add more. When are we going to do this? If you, if you do these things, then, then we'll come. We'll stay. But we had to focus on getting first things first because survival was really the focus. And over time, we've been able to add some things into the frame. But what we needed was we needed to have a very clear focus on our assignment. And so we spent, the like I said, in 2018, we spent a year defining our vision frame. And where we landed after about a year of work with, with some consultants and then 12 members of our staff and leadership is we developed something called the OCC vision frame. And it has four sides. We're going to look at these four sides, like I said, in the future weeks. But the first side of the frame is this. It's our mission. And the mission answers this question. What are we doing? Next week we'll share with you specific words of our mission statement that we drafted up. Thankfully, we, when we come up with a mission statement for a church, we don't start with a blank page. We go to the Bible, and we look at what is the assignment Jesus gave to the church. And in, in fact, what's really helpful is that Jesus thought it was so crucial for the church to know and to remember the mission of the church that he repeated it five times. So you actually have a 
commissioning statement in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Like Acts 1.8, that's one of those mission statements. Well, we take all of those commissioning statements from Jesus, we can then wrestle through that and say, now how in our unique situation in Riverside with the people God has brought around us, with our opportunity, how are we going to state that in a way that we can remember? And so we've, we've next week we'll present to you the new mission statement for, for OCC. Now on the left side of the frame is our, our values. And in a few weeks you'll, you'll, you'll hear us communicate those values. Values answer the question, why are we doing it? They're, they're about motive. Motives are why we do what we do. Now why is the why such a big deal? It's because we actually live and behave out of our whys. Our motives guide all of our behavior. So you need to know why you do what you do. So we have five values that we're going to look at in two weeks. And I don't want you to panic. Can you hear me saying we've got a new mission and new values? If you've been around for a number of years and you've heard our old mission and you've heard these things called the heart attitudes, which are our, our core, have been our core values. And you're like, what are we doing? Are we throwing out those? So basically, don't panic. Uh, this new frame... It's really focused on the unique opportunity we have as a church. And I'm going to show you a graphic in the coming weeks showing how that frame fits onto the foundation of our mission and heart attitudes, and so, which we're not letting go of. But this will give more clarity, I think, to our focus in the future. On the bottom side of the frame, we have our strategy. Strategy answers the question, how are we doing it? What are the patterns of behavior that, are going to, that we're going to use to accomplish the mission? A mission is just words on a wall until... It's turned into a set of behaviors that, that are clear and that are doable. And so our strategy that you'll see in a few weeks is it has six patterns of behavior that we can all do. And every event that we do needs to fit into those patterns. There are other events that others might do at other churches. We're just going to say we'll, we'll let them focus on their frame within the limits God has assigned to them. But we, we've gotten very clear on what patterns will fit into our strategy. And then at the top of the frame are measures. And measures answer the question, when are we successful? How will we know that we've been successful? How would an individual member of OCC know if they're on track? Measures answer that question. Without a clear measure of success, we'll distort the frame of God's dream for us and put the success label on our own personal dreams. And so these four sides of the frame set the limits for God's assignment for us. So we're going to unpack this and in the weeks ahead. Now, the second aspect of a God dream is this, that God dreams occur over time. The picture that goes inside the frame is, you'll see on the front of your, your program, it's a picture of a, a sort of a mountainscape. you got some hills, a mountain, distant with snow, some flowers. and But God dreams occur over time. And this the picture inside of a frame answers the question, where is God taking us? Like, what is the picture of what God wants us to do in the next 10 years? Now, now here's the thing. God's dreams usually take a, a great deal of time to accomplish. So if you think of a person like Abraham, one of the heroes of the, of the faith, Abraham was told he would be a father, and 25 years later, he was a father. That's a long time. Joseph was told that he was going to be a great ruler, well, after jail and betrayal and accusations that were not true, 15 years later, he is. 
But God dreams occur over time. And it's in the time leading up to the arrival of the dream, there are these little important steps that God is wanting us to take forward in faith. And God dreams, they just don't materialize before our eyes. No, we walk there by faith every day. It's a faith journey. And a clear picture of where God is taking us can keep us on track to make daily progress. And so, now we see the future the same way that our eyes see the horizon. So when you look at that picture, your eyes see the horizon way out in the distance. You see the clouds out in the distance. Farthest out there in the picture is what's beyond the horizon. That's the dream part. We can't see it, but, but we can imagine it. We can imagine some things for the future of our church. And we can begin as a group to move towards some things that we sense God wants us to do in the future. That's, that's on the horizon. It's out there. Next is the background. You see those snow-capped mountains. That's the background. That's like the furthest our eyes can really see and focus. And then there's the midground, those hills near. And then there's the, the horizon, or the, then there's the foreground where those flowers are. And every step we take is determined by these four views. And God's dreams move the same way. He gives us an idea based on our unique opportunity and place in California, in Southern California, in this region of the Inland Empire. He gives us a unique opportunity because of what is here in this area and who has come to our church. There, there's no church like OCC in its uniqueness. That's, that's what's exciting about each church that God is, you know, is, he gives a very specific frame and an opportunity because of the mix of people he brings around and the place he's situated them and the, and the season of opportunity. Now, that's, that's pretty exciting. But that thing in the horizon, those clouds, that, that is really the big question we're wrestling with is what does God want us to do in the next 10 years way out there in the horizon? But then you've got the background, those mountains in the background. It really is, let's say, what does God want us to do in, in, in the next three to five years? Where should we be moving towards those 10-year goals? Then we look at the mid-ground and ask, what is it in a year from now You know that... that where should we be in a year? Or even the foreground, those flowers. What should we be doing this month and next month, within the next 90 days? Now, we tend to live foreground lives, looking no further than just 90 days out. But we're actually created to, to dream God dreams, which are way out there on the horizon. Well, at our church, we've gotten a pretty strong sense on where God is leading us over the next 10 years. And so the picture inside of the frame uh, you'll be, I'm going to be filling in the picture for us throughout this series. And we, we have a 10-year vision that we're, we've called Advance. And Advance has four very specific vision statements that will reveal where we're heading, what's, what's out there on the horizon. So you're going to want to be here each week of the series because we're going to break a piece of the news each week so you know what's, what's on the horizon for our church but whenever you write up vision statements, like you've ever written goals for yourself, you wonder if they'll come to pass, right? You're like, I don't know if I should even write this down, because it seems crazy to write this, this dream down. But what's fun is when you start seeing things happen. And, and with two of the four statements that we'd written down earlier in the spring, two of them are already in motion. And so, and these are things that we sense might be years from now, but there are two that have kicked into motion. So I want to show you a video we're going to shut the lights off for this video, and this will help reveal one of our advanced uh, vision statements. So something exciting is, is going down.
an offer on this property, it was accepted, and we're in escrow. God has provided an amazing opportunity. I want to show you inside the former Riverside Swim and Tennis Club. We're in escrow on this property. This is 5.3 acres. Used to be pools and tennis courts, and now it's just this abandoned piece of land that we've really been keeping an eye on for the past year and a half. For a long time, we've been looking for a place where our church could operate seven days a week, all year long. This is actually one of the busiest roads in our town. Uh, the estimates are that there's about 75 to upwards of 100,000 cars that pass along this corner every day. And so think of the possibility of what God could do to impact Riverside as our church places ourselves right in the center of this area. Right behind us, this building is going to come down, and this is eventually going to be, this whole area right here, would be a really large kids' building. We want to build out kids' classes for different ages and stages, and it's going to be a great spot for the children of OCC. These courts right behind us would be a great spot for our parking lot. We need to make sure we have enough room for at least 200 cars. So if we come through, you can just see how it opens up. And this actually is already graded and pretty much prepared for parking. So this actually used to be a pool. They filled it in. And so basically this right here is where our main worship auditorium will go. Our offices will go there as well. And then behind us really would be a plaza, playground, just gathering place, maybe some picnic shelters for people to just be hanging out and, and enjoying time with one another. So again, all these courts back here, but it just opens up. I mean, as you see, this property is really, really large. And so it opens up and it's still flat back here. And so what an opportunity. We've got plenty of room to work with on this spot. We praise God for this opportunity. And we want to say thanks to you for joining as a church and really praying and seeking God and then responding as he's prompted so many of you to give to this. And we've been waiting and waiting to see how God would answer. And now look what he's done. So I look forward to sharing with you more about the details of this in the weeks and months ahead. so cool. Now, I want you to, uh, now everything I've said up to this point, you're probably going to have forgotten. So um, now you have a lot of questions on your mind, I'm sure. And we're not going to have time to answer all those questions because it's really unfolding right now. So for those of you who are newer to OCC, I'll start with you. Back in, in 2017 and 2018, we made attempts to purchase buildings and the buildings were built, and we were have, one was really too small for us, but we were trying to figure out how to make it work. And then through the process, we realized this was too small of a situation. And then even though our bid was a strong bid, we ended up, it ended up going, the building went to the county of Riverside. But we also were sort of, it was great. God answered that question. It wasn't the spot. Months later, we got into another opportunity. The building was a lot larger, a lot of acreage, not, not exactly in the region, that would have made the most sense, but we were sort of exploring the opportunity. And through it, we learned really that we weren't financially prepared for that. We put an offer in, didn't get accepted, and but through it, we got far more prepared. And so we launched into something called PrEP. 
in 2018, we, we, did, we gathered as a church and we said, let's prep. And the reason we did that is because in the Bible, as I was studying this area and just really wrestling through it, I could see a pattern in the Bible of how God's people began preparing far before the building project, whether the tabernacle or the temple. God had leaders like Moses and David lead people to begin to set aside resources that would be needed for future building projects. And so I laid out that pattern that we could see in Scripture. It was difficult because it was like, hey, would you begin to give above your normal giving to something we can't see yet? Who's on board? And it's like, it just, just sort of imagine it. But you know what? $330,000 has come in in a building and expansion fund because we sensed we needed to prep and get ready. And we've been waiting and praying that God would provide the right opportunity. And I, I said a year ago, hey, our backs are not against the wall at that point. And so if you can help us prep, then, then please consider that. Pray. I said, if an opportunity comes and, and there's a time frame of closing on something, our backs will be against the wall. And it will be, we'll have been grateful that we got ready for it. Now, suddenly this opportunity has come to purchase land in the center of town. If you were to put, actually we have put all of your addresses on a Google map so we can see where does everyone from OCC live. I came here in 2008 or 2007, we launched in 2008 to plant this church, sensing it would be a neighborhood church for Orange Crest. Well, God decided to take my puny idea and sort of bust it out and, and we've become a regional church. And so the center of OCC is not Orange Crest. The center of, of OCC is a block from where this building is. And so it's, it's really exciting to see God leading us through a process and, and patiently waiting for him. Now, this is a very exciting opportunity for our church. We've been keeping an eye on this piece of land for, we toured it in December 2017, in fact. And at that time, it was priced at $3.1 million. It went down to 2.7 and 2.6 million dollars, and it sat there for a while. Well, then uh, three weeks ago, it dropped a half million dollars in a day, and we 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 started uh, we gathered our property purchase team, and we we decided let's walk the space and with an architect, and we did, and and we could see it. We could see what God could do in the years ahead, if if He would allow us to to purchase and secure that land, and then eventually build buildings there. So we, we got in the mix. We put an offer in on the property. The seller liked our basic site plan that was sketched out by a drafter, and we began negotiating. There was two others that submitted offers as well, but the seller said, let's talk with the church. Let's, let's see what they want to do. And they wanted to work with us, which was, for us, we've, we've submitted offers, and we, we never got into escrow. We never got a, an accepted offer, but this is the first time we've actually been in escrow. We entered escrow at the end of, of July last month, and we've never made it this far. And so it's really exciting. But you need to know that we're at the beginning of a very long journey. If you've ever tried to buy property or a house, you know how hard and stressful that is. And you know that it's not really done until you have the keys and you enter that, that property. And so this may or may not happen. Um, we're in a six-month escrow. And so our contract that Basically, the seller has to sell it to us. At this point, they're in contract to sell it to us. We don't have to buy it, though. So we have, a, we have a six-month escrow, and five of those months are called due diligence. Basically, we need to make sure that that property is going to work for us to have a church that can be here for, for years and years and years. The hope with this is be that we would sacrifice 
so that in the generations to come, there could be a permanent home for this group of people who formed this culture to reach this community. And so, and it will take a group of people to say, hey, we want to be a part of that sacrifice. And we want to do this together. But if at any point before December 20th, we, we decide that, that that's not for us, then, then we can, in our contract, um, step out of escrow and let it go. And so there's that protection in there for us. Uh, more on due diligence. We're trying to just understand, so you understand what that means. Uh, the property itself, it, it's 5.3 acres. It looks like it might really meet our needs. Friends of ours at Seabreeze Church in, in Huntington Beach, they're on four and a half acres of land, which happened to have been a tennis and swim club before. <laughs> so my friend Bevan, Pastor Bevan, has walked the site and said, this is kind of nostalgic here. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a lot of questions we need to ask about that particular piece of land in that part of town. It's on Alessandro as you're heading down the hill, about halfway down the hill. But due diligence, when you're in due diligence, we're trying to find out. It seems right now like the property really might meet our needs. But when you're in due diligence, a period of due diligence, in some ways it's like you're getting married. We're trying to think this through. You know, you run into the person of your dreams, but before you say, I do, you really want to check the police reports. (laughs) (laughs) And some of the reports cost money, (laughs) at least the good ones. (laughs) And so what we're going to do is we're going to need to spend some money as a church during our due diligence period. And during due diligence, you pay good money for good information. And so we're not just spending haphazardly, but we're making uh, wise decisions on, on the steps we need to take, spending what we need to spend to really vet this opportunity and see if it's what God wants. So during this, prop, this period of time, our property purchase team will be working really closely with three groups of people. And, and we've at this point now had two very busy weeks of meetings and conversations with first, uh, design and build architect group. We've, we've uh, explored with three, but we've settled on one that we want to work with. They specialize in church buildings. They're working on feasibility studies for that land, uh, and making sure it has what we need to fit what we need to fit. They're also going to have conceptual design plans done within a month, uh, so that we can s- submit those to the city, which is the second group of people that we'll be working very closely with. We'll probably be spending a lot of time at City Hall, me and a few of our staff, working with Riverside City Planning Department, Public Works, Public Utilities, Fire and Safety, because they all have to sign off on this. And we just need to make sure that we can get all the proper permits to build on that property. And so a church can use uh, residential, it's zoned residential, but we can actually, uh, if we're granted a conditional use permit, then we can build on that property and operate from it. The third group that we're working with, uh, is lending institutions. Uh, lending institutions are looking closely at our church finances to see what we can afford to do at this stage, and that's really important. We need to make sure that uh, someone is analyzing from the outside saying, yeah, you guys can handle this step financially. And so we're evaluating those institutions, and they're also evaluating us and our strength financially, our, our capacity. And so as I mentioned in our prep phase, we have $330,000 in our building and expansion fund, and that's about half of what we'll need for the down payment. And so we've got a ways to go before we can cover the down payment January 2020. I think January 20th of 2020, less than six months, is when we'd need to close on that and be able to fund that. Um, so we would, we would basically put the down and then 
pay the payments on the remaining portion. So this is, there's a lot to happen. This is exciting news. It's one more major step in our journey. And if it's, here's the thing, if it's God's will, then we'll be on that land in time. If it's God's will. Perhaps, perhaps it is. We, of all the opportunities we've seen, this one has made the most sense. And the timing is, is pretty, it seems providential. Um, our office, uh, we have an office in Mission Grove. Our landlord will only extend to us a three-year lease term. And so we're, we're letting our office go. We're going to shut the doors of our office September 30th. So it feels a little bit like Abraham when God said, hey, go to the land. And he's like, well, where do I go? He's like, just start going. I'll let you know. <laughs> and that's how this somewhat feels because we're, and honestly, Abraham has been the character that God has used the most to help me in the last few years leading us towards the future in this area of property. And so it seems to make sense that God would actually put us in a place where we'd have to trust them like Abraham had to trust God. So what should you do with all the excitement, questions, and energy? First thing, most important part of this is prayer. Turn to God and ask God to guide our process. We need God to guide us. Pray that God helps us see everything that's hiding in the corners on that property. (laughs) Anything and anyone. (laughs) It's an abandoned... (laughs) property <laughs> it's an abandoned property for the last 10 years every time we go on the property we sort of clear the rooms and make sure there's no one camping out but also pray for strong community support uh, the neighbors right there have a lot of influence over what happens on that corner and so the neighbors will weigh in on their thoughts of what we intend to build there so we've begun we have Two members of our property purchase team that have begun knocking on doors, meeting with neighbors in the general area saying, hey, here's, here's basic concept ideas. Here's what we want to do here on this corner. What are your thoughts? And so far, uh, we're so far 100% approval, um, but that's not going to be the case completely through this process. And so uh, what we're trying to do is get a general sense and then work towards the most challenging aspects of those conversations. And so what we, what we intend to do, though, is have a considerate plan for the neighbors. So whatever we propose to build will be in consideration to that neighborhood. And so we're going to be listening to what uh, people have to say in those meetings. So that, that's the news. I don't know if you expected that today, but this is the first of four pieces of advance. This is first of four. So here's the statement that, that we were going to unveil. We didn't know about this opportunity, but this was the plan, was to say, hey, here's one thing we sense God wants us to do in the next 10 years, to secure permanent and visible property to help us advance into the future. Well, God may have sped the process up on this one, but every, every great story has exciting points, and then it has twists and turns and cliffhanger moments. And one thing is, I want you to know I'm not looking for those moments. I'm not asking God for those cliffhanger moments. But as they come, will you choose faith? And will you choose unity? And if you're a part of OCC family, you say, this is my church home, I hope, you'll, I hope you'll step with us in faith as we advance together. I'll be honest, as with any faith move or any God dream, I can't fully see how this is all come together, going to come together. I've got a lot of questions, just as you do. Uh, but that's the faith walk we've been invited to, isn't it? That's the same faith walk that God invited Abraham to, Moses into, Caleb and those that spied out the promised land. And what a joy that God's given us an opportunity to to trust him as we walk forward in faith. If it's his will, then in time we'll have that land. If it's not, then we're holding it with an open hand. We wanted to share with you where we're at in the process. One of Paul's prayers 
in the book of Ephesians, ends with these words. He prays now unto him. He's asked God for power to, to really understand some things and see and understand his, his love. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you're newer here, as the worship team joins me back up on the stage, you've come at an exciting time. I'm really glad to, uh, that you're here. If you'd like to meet our staff, or if any of you have any questions, I'll be back at the welcome table. Love to, to visit and, and hear your thoughts and uh, share in your excitement. It was encouraging to hear your excitement. Uh, that's important because there'll be some points where we're going to be at crossroads at points. And so it's helpful to do that together and unveil that together. Um, if you're part of our church family, uh, thank you so much for praying. Thank you for responding and being generous towards this. Thank you for adding your life and your family to this group. It's been a real joy to do this together and be praying for this opportunity. We need God to go before us and to highlight the critical steps, the resources, and to keep us uh, unified. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and for this, uh, this group. Thank you that we have been a part of something together, Lord, and that you keep expanding our vision for our lives and our church. And so thank you, Lord, that uh, you've been leading us and then you've kicked some things into motion, Lord. And with the other things that we'll look at in this series, Lord, I, I just sense there'll be some real clarity and focus and excitement that, that, that you're bringing into this body. And so we thank you, Lord. Our eyes are on you. I thank you for the many servants, folks that have labored for years, setting up and tearing down this church. We want to steward the, the resources of people's time and money and energy and skills to the best of our ability, God, to make an impact for your eternal kingdom. And if this is the way that you're leading, then we just we, we pray that your will be done. If it's not, God, I pray you'd, you'd put the brakes on it, halt the process, and we'll wait on you for what's next. And either way, God, building or no building, rental or own, you know, it's all, it's all in your hands. We're stewards. God, that's our role. We're stewards. We're servants. You are God. So our eyes are on you, and we thank you for your help, and we thank you for the unity here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.